Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we open up and listen to God's Word together. Today's message is part eight in Pastor DJ Ritchie's series in Ecclesiastes. It was given during our Sunday morning worship service on September 20th, 2020. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. And when you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this encourages you in your relationship with Christ. And if it does, we would love to connect with you in person sometime. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Uh, God is always uh, working, even behind the scenes, even when we don't uh, see Him at work, He is working, and we thank the Lord for that. Let's go to Him in prayer as we prepare our hearts uh, for His Word today. Father, thank You for Your amazing, unfathomable love for us as Your children. Father, thank You that even while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us, that God, You love the world so much that You sent Your only begotten Son to die for the sins of the world, God, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God, you extend this offer of forgiveness of sins, of eternal life, eternal hope in Christ to all of us. And God, for those of us who have accepted that offer, you adopt us into your family, you give us your Holy Spirit, and you give us purpose and hope and comfort in this life that is sometimes so difficult. And so, God, we give you all the praise and all the glory. We ask for your Spirit to open our hearts as we look at your Word today to understand these truths, to apply them to our life. And, God, if there is somebody here who doesn't have the hope of your fatherhood, that doesn't have the hope of Jesus Christ as their Savior, God, I pray that this would be the day that they would see their sin and see you as the only Savior, and that they would confess and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that they would be born again. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I have so much to be thankful for today. My beautiful wife uh, had a birthday yesterday. I won't tell you which birthday it was, but uh, we are celebrating my wife. I have such a beautiful wife. We have such a beautiful son. He's young enough, even though he's a guy, you can still call him beautiful at his age, and he is a beautiful son. And uh, we have a beautiful life, and God has, has just richly blessed us. But sometimes we need to stop and remind ourselves of that. In fact, quite honestly, we always need to stop. We're told to, in everything, give thanks. So we need to always remember the things that we have to be thankful for, because sometimes the beauty of life is not so obvious, On Friday, I was driving uh, my Jeep and uh, had just dropped off uh, my wife at work and my son at school, and I was, well, actually, I had my son on Friday, didn't I? Yeah, so my son was in the vehicle with me. I normally drop him off after uh, we drop my wife off, and we were driving home, and a rock flew up, hit my windshield, and uh, I'm going to have to have that replaced on Tuesday morning. Wasn't real happy about that, had to spend... uh, some time on Friday that I had intended to spend doing other things, uh, working on that and trying to get that set up. And then uh, because my windshield is cracked, we took my wife's car this morning and uh, we had a little uh, fender uh, bender, really a tire bender. (laughs) We hit, uh, my wife just just barely grazed the curb. I've done it myself a number of times and uh, driven on. Uh, This time we uh, weren't able to drive on, and so um, a few of you uh, stopped. We appreciate those of you who stopped and uh, offered a a ride, offered your help. Uh, Scott was able to bring me uh, today. Uh, I had another friend, uh, Ron from uh, Cornerstone, who I've known for many, many years, who uh, is uh, with my wife now and and helping her get all the the details worked out and getting the vehicle to... Oh, there you are. Oh. (laughs) Wow, I'm really thankful. Here. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still a little stunned, I guess, from the accident today. So. But I'm glad that you're here. Okay, we'll, we'll talk after the service, and I'll find out what's going on. 
But it, it was a fru- it's been a frustrating weekend. A lot of different things going on. I won't I won't bore you with all of the, the t- all of the details. But uh, uh, we have so much to be thankful for. And in the midst of all the struggles of life, this is a beautiful life. I want you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter three. Ecclesiastes chapter three. We're going to spend uh, the bulk of our time this morning in chapter seven. But uh, I want to catch you up on what we've learned a few weeks ago. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes, for those of you who are just joining us, is Solomon's search for and his discovery of the meaning of life, the profit of life. The big problem of Ecclesiastes is the big problem that we all face. Life is a vapor. Life is a single breath away from ending. It is Hebel in Hebrew. It is a vapor, translated as vanity in the King James. egregiously mistranslated in some of our translations as meaningless. Life is not meaningless. The message of Ecclesiastes is not meaningless. The word Hebel does not mean meaningless in any way, shape, or form, but it is a fleeting life. So how do I get value out of a fleeting life? How do I find lasting profit in a momentary fleeting life? Chapter 3 gives us the answer. The answer is the fear of God. The fear of God is how we can achieve lasting, eternal profit in a temporary life. I want you to read with me these verses again, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 9 through 14, because this chapter is such a key chapter in the book. Throughout chapters 4 through 11, Solomon is is going to be weaving the themes in chapter 3. And, and showing us the implications of what he tells us in chapter 3. And so let's remind ourselves of what those realities are. Verse 9, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of man to be exercised in it. Every life has travail. Every life. You may be in a season of life right now where you don't see a lot of travail, where you're not experiencing a lot of travail, but it is coming because life comes in seasons, as Solomon tells us in the beginning of this chapter. Verse 11, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their hearts. He has set eternity in their hearts. Uh, one uh, translation or several translations translate that. He has set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. Now, when we read through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's very easy to get distracted by all of the dark themes and the heavy themes in this book and to think that Ecclesiastes is about the meaninglessness of life. It is not. Now, as you would expect, the word Hebel, translated vanity in the King James, is found throughout this book, but it's only found 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's another word that is found even more frequently that is even more emphasized. And it's the Hebrew word tob. Tob. Now, tob is sometimes translated good. Sometimes it's translated as better, as plentiful. But I, I want to stress to you that one of the key meanings of the word tob is beautiful. Beautiful. We have nerfed the word good, I think, in English, in our culture. We we use the word good as, as a synonym for average. That's not the word that God is using here for good. It, now, it, it means good. Don't get me wrong. But it means so much more than that. It's a word that also means beautiful. 
Sometimes even in our culture, we will use the word beautiful to describe something that is not physically attractive. Sometimes even something that is not visible. We will say that a song, that it, it, that's a beautiful song. That was a beautiful song today. We're talking about the way the song impacts us, the way that it was sung or the way that it was written, uh, the way that it makes us feel. It, it, it has a beautiful characteristic to it. Some of you are golfers. You'll say, man, that was a beautiful putt. Or if you're a football fan, that was a beautiful catch. Did you see that catch at the back of the end zone, that one-handed catch with the toes just barely catching the edge of the end zone? What a beautiful catch. Sometimes we'll say, that was a beautiful thing that you did for that person. That was a beautiful thing that you did. You know, that's how Jesus used the word beautiful in Mark chapter 14. Remember, there was a, an immoral woman who came to Jesus. He was in the house of Simon the leper, a Pharisee. He was eating, and this uh, sinful woman brought an alabaster box. And she opened it, and she anointed Jesus' head, and then she began weeping at his feet, and her tears were, were dripping on his feet, and she was wiping the tears off his feet with her hair. What a, an incredibly beautiful picture of worship. And Jesus said of her and of what she was doing when the disciples started to complain what a waste of money they said to just pour it over Jesus what a foolish thing to say but Jesus addressed that attitude and he said this is literally it's translated as this is a good thing that she's done but literally in the Greek the word he uses is kalon which means a beautiful thing this is a beautiful thing that she's doing her worship is beautiful in my eyes. I want you to understand that this word that is used more frequently in Ecclesiastes than Habel is one of the main emphases of this book. The goodness, the beauty that is possible even in a fleeting life. Even in a short life, there can be an incredible experience of beauty if you fear the Lord. If you will fear Him, you can experience a, as we'll see today in chapter 7, a better life, a more beautiful life. I want you to experience a beautiful life. My sermon this morning is entitled, This Beautiful Life. And I want you to see in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, five keys to finding beauty in a breath. This life is a breath. It's Habel. It's a vapor. But there is incredible beauty that God will allow you to experience in this life if you will fear Him, if you will obey Him. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon is going to give us five keys to finding that beauty. Would you go with me to chapter 7 now, Ecclesiastes chapter 7? Life is brief, but it is a blessing. Life is a mother to a litter of blessings. Satan will try to twist those blessings. We talked about that in chapter 6, the unquenchable fires of our human desires. But if we will fear God and place Him before our desires, we will be able to experience the beauty of those desires. We'll be able to experience the beauty of family, of long life, of, of the appetites that God has given to us so the question is are we going to look for beauty where God tells us to find it because it's available to us but we have to make better choices the word tobe throughout this uh, passage of scripture is found uh, in the, the screen I, I said 10 times I miscounted it was a, it's actually 11 times in these 14 verses 11 times the Hebrew word tob or a form of the word tob is used in these 14 verses 11 times. Solomon is shouting at us that you can experience goodness, tob, beauty, excellence, but you have to make tob choices. You have to make beautiful choices. You have to make, as it's translated in our English Bible, better choices. 
if you will fear God and make these better choices, you will experience the beauty that God has for you. Now, some of these things that we're going to see in chapter 7 are counterintuitive. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says that now we look in a mirror darkly. When we, when we see the, the realities that God has given us, we, we look in a mirror. We see it unclearly. We don't see things as clearly as we will see them when Jesus returns for us, which could happen today. It could happen any day. We need to be living with that in mind. But I don't want to overstretch Paul's analogy. I don't want to overstretch the metaphor. But I wonder if one of the reasons he used the metaphor of a mirror is because we sometimes see things backwards. You look in a mirror, you get an image, but it's a reversed image. And sometimes in this life, we, we see things backwards. We're counterintuitive to the way things are. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon is going to, through a study of contrast, and again, we're just going to look at the first 14 verses this morning, but he's giving us uh, some contrast, and he wants us to think about things in a different way, in a counterintuitive way. If we want to find beauty, though, this is where we find it. So let's read these 14 verses together, and then uh, we'll begin to uh, walk back through them. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1 says, A good name, a tobe name, is better, is tobe, than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better, it is tobe, to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. The living will lay this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better, is made more beautiful. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. This is Habel. This is a breath. Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou doest not inquire wisely concerning this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. Consider the work of God, for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also hath set the one over against the other, to the end that man should find nothing after him. There is great beauty in a breath. This word tobe that appears 11 times in these 14 verses, translated in a few different ways in the English, is the word that God used in Genesis chapter 1. When on day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw what he had made, and he said, it is Tob. On day two, day three, day four, day five, Tob, 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 Tob. On day six, when he created Adam and breathed life into Adam, and then from Adam's side, created Eve. God said, this is very tobe. This is very beautiful. This is very excellent. God wants us to experience beauty. Here's how we do it. Back in verse 1, number 1. Focus on the finish line. Focus on the finish line. Always live 
with the end in mind. A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Hebrews 9 says it is appointed to man once to die after this, the judgment. This is the fate of all of us. If the Lord tarries and we are not harpazoed, raptured out of here, uh, we will all walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We all will. But if we will live a life of fear of God, that day will be more of a celebration than the day of your birth. Now, I don't know if you remember the day of your birth or not. I'm guessing you don't. But I'm betting for sure that you remember the day of somebody's birth. A child, a grandchild, the celebration, the overwhelming joy. That is nothing. That is nothing compared to the joy that we will experience when we open our eyes in eternity with our Lord and Savior. That is nothing compared to that. But we have to think that way. We have to live that way. Pray for Bonnie Hunt and her family. Uh, I'll have uh, Jim's funeral tomorrow at Adam's Funeral Home, 12 o'clock. There will be a visitation from 10 to 12, uh, and then the funeral at 12. Uh, Jim uh, is a believer. He's with the Lord today. Uh, this will be my first funeral that I've uh, actually conducted. I've been a part of many funeral services. I've attended many funeral services. This will be my first one, and Pastor Nick and I were just talking about that a few days ago, and uh, later that day, Bonnie called me with the news. But the death of a saint, the death of someone who is a believer in Christ, is a cause for them, certainly, to celebrate. And yes, we grieve, and we should grieve. And we should weep with those who weep. But it is a victory for the believer. And we need to live like that. We need to think that way. Hebrews chapter 12, Wherefore seeing also we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Remember those men and women we talked about when we, a few months ago we walked through Hebrews chapter 11 together? Who are right now celebrating their victory through Christ, through what Christ has accomplished, received by faith. We're encompassed by such a great cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Always live with the end in mind. Now, how do I do that? Well, Solomon says the first thing I have to do is I have to guard my reputation. Guard your reputation. If I'm living with the end in mind, I'll be thinking about my reputation. Now, remember in chapter 6, Solomon said that the desire for fame and the desire for reputation, uncontrolled obsession with what people think of me, is an, is an unsatisfiable, unquenchable fire, and it will consume you. So he is not saying that we should make what people think of us the driving force of our life, but he is saying that how people see us matters. Our testimony matters. Your testimony matters. And I need to be concerned about what really is the content of my character. What is the content of my character? Now, it's not just the superficial, the superficial impression that I make on people. That's why he says a good name is better than precious ointment. Better than what you put on to make yourself smell better, to make yourself look better. Remember, this is a culture that they didn't shower every day. They didn't have showers in the house like we do. They didn't bathe every day. And so ointment... And oil was even more valuable to them than it is to us to be able to cover up uh, some of uh, that sweat and, and just the smell of work and life. And Solomon says, as precious as that oil is, as costly as it is, what's more important than what you put on? 
what's superficial, the, the, the first impression that you make or what people think of you is what you really are about. And as a Christian, I need to be concerned about guarding my reputation because true beauty isn't superficial. It's not external. You remember what God said to the prophet Samuel when he went uh, to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel? And when Samuel saw the appearance of Jesse's eldest son and how kingly he looked and how big and strong and handsome and strapping, and, and Samuel thought, this guy looks like the king. And the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Luke 16, 15, Jesus said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, when we talk about having a good reputation, we're really talking about how does God see me? Because God sees my heart. Not just the impression that I can make as a pastor, but how does God see me as His Son? That's what matters. And I need to live like that. We are so quick to abuse the grace that God so richly pours out for us. But as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, absolutely not. Your reputation matters. And if you're living focused on the finish line, you will guard your reputation. Secondly, remember that death brings rewards for the faithful. When I am faithful in this fleeting life, because of God's great grace and His great love, He gives to me, based on my temporary obedience in a fleeting life, eternal blessings. What? What an exchange. <laughs> what an amazing Father that He would pour out on us His blessings. And we look to the Apostle Paul as we often do as an example of living like this. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 when he was speaking to the uh, Ephesian pastors that he knew he would never see again, he said, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I'm all about what God has called me to do. That is my focus. Because I know God's going to reward me. Philippians chapter 3, 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right before he's about to die, we're talking months before his death, Paul doesn't know exactly when he's going to die, but the Holy Spirit has said, hey, this is it. Get your affairs in order. And Paul could say, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with confidence, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love His appearing. There are rewards that are extended to you, and you may not get the advance warning that Paul, get, that Paul got concerning when life is over. You may not get any warning. Are you ready to say, I finished my course? Are you ready and confident? First of all, are you confident that you know Him as your Savior? Because you may not have tomorrow to make that decision. You may not have today. You may not have all of today to make that decision to repent of your sins and trust in the death and resurrection as the only sufficient payment for your sins. You may not have all day. But even for those of us who are saved, you may not have tomorrow to prepare to meet the Lord and to receive the rewards that He wants to give you. But you have to live with the end in mind. You have to focus on the finish line. Number three, Better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Ask God to teach you to number your days. Ask God to teach you to number your days. Better to go to the house of mourning than 
the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. The living will lay it to his heart. The oldest psalm in the book of Psalms is Psalm 90, the psalm of Moses. And Moses wrote, Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. You can fear God now and live wisely, or you can get his wrath if you don't know him. Now, Christ has absorbed the wrath of the Father for you. You don't have to experience his wrath. He he has absorbed the wrath of God for you. He paid for your sin debt on the cross, and he rose again, proving that God the Father accepted his sacrifice. But you have a choice to make. Am I going to receive that payment and receive Jesus Christ having absorbed my wrath, or am I going to get the wrath? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Christian, ask God to teach you to number your days so that you will make wise choices. We don't like to go to funerals. We don't like to go to even visitations because it's a reminder of death. It's a reminder of our own mortality. But we need reminded. We need reminded. You know, God does some of his greatest work in the darkest hours. It's easy to see the beauty of life on a sunny day. It's easy to see the beauty of life when you're standing with your toes in the sand and the surf licking around your ankles, and it's a clear blue sky as far as you can see, and the beautiful ocean as far as you can see, and you can just hear that sound that is so soothing. It's easy to see the beauty of life in those moments. It's easy to see the beauty of life when you're standing on a clear, sunny day on a mountaintop, and you look down over a green valley and just wonder at the glory of God. But when the sun has set, and when you're in the dark... The beauty is still there if you will look up. You remember when you were kids and you just wanted to stand out under the stars and just look up at the stars and look up at the glory of God? How many times do we not stop in the darkness and just take a moment and look up and give God glory for the majesty of the sky? Because the beauty of the earth is revealed during the day, but the beauty of the sky is revealed at night in the stars. The heavens... Declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. There is great beauty. It was in the darkness of a cross that God did His great work of redemption. A bloodied cross as our Savior hung and died for our sins. In those hours as He was dying. The darkest hours. Even during the day, the sky grew dark. But it was the beauty of the cross, the beauty of a tomb, an empty tomb, that God did his great work of redemption in the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So in the darkness, look up. Remember where you are headed. Focus on the finish line. Number two, if I want to find the beauty in life, Remembering that I'm even going to die will help me to find the beauty in the moment, the beauty in the season. Number two, though, I also have to make some better choices. I have to receive rebuke. Boy, this is hard. I can't speak for the ladies here, but I'll speak for the men. This is hard for guys to admit when we need forgiveness, to admit when we were wrong. Two hardest words in the English language, I'm sorry. Three hardest words, I was wrong. But Solomon says, if you want to experience beauty in life, you better learn how to receive rebuke. Here's how he says it, verse 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Now, the sorrow that he's talking about here is not gloom and doom sorrow. It's not uh, living with a spirit of depression And by the way, uh, I always try to remember to say this when I'm talking about depression. Sometimes depression is clinical. Sometimes uh, it's something that's chemical going on in your brain. Sometimes it's a reaction of a medication that you're taking. 
depression is not always a sin. And if you're on some type of medication and you're struggling with depression, I would strongly encourage you uh, to talk to your doctor right away. It may just be your medication. It may be the medication that you're on that's causing that. So we're not talking about living in gloom and doom, but we are talking about the sorrow that leads to repentance. Proverbs 15.32, He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, but he that heareth reproof getteth better understanding, or getteth understanding. If I want to make better choices, I'm going to have to admit that I've made some bad choices. And I'm going to have to learn from them. And I'm going to have to be sorrowful over them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, God no longer identifies you in the court of heaven by your sin. If you don't know Christ, that is how God sees you in the court of heaven. He sees your heart. He doesn't just see your action. Jesus said, you may not have committed adultery, but do you have the eye of an adulterer? You may not have killed someone, but do you have the heart of a murderer? You might, may not have stolen something, but do you have a covetous heart, the heart of a thief? God sees your heart, and that's how God identifies you, by your sin. But the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are justified in heaven, which means that we are judicially approved. We are declared righteous in the court of heaven, and God no longer sees you According to your sin, he sees you as a son, he sees you as a daughter, and such were some of you. So you need to stop seeing yourself that way. You need to stop seeing yourself that way, and you need to stop living that way. You need to repent as a believer of those things, and turn from those things, and see yourself as a forgiven child of God, and repentance and sorrow is a key to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it, it, it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Godly sorrow will change your life. It won't last forever. It's not be sorry for the rest of your life, but if I have godly sorrow, I will repent, I will turn from my sin, I will allow God to change my life. Now, there are three things that we need to see here. Three things, if we want to experience that beauty from ashes that God offers to us, uh, three things that Solomon says we need to make sure we're doing. Number one, don't laugh at sin. Don't mock death. By living only for pleasure, he says, this is the heart of a fool. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. The heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Uh, laughter is not better than sorrow if it's godly sorrow. By the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Don't laugh at sin. Don't mock death. Don't make it a joke. By living only for pleasure... This is the, if, if that's my attitude, then I have the heart of a fool. And I'm not receiving rebuke. I'm not focused on the finish line. And I'm not going to experience real beauty and real excellence in my life. I'm going to make bad choices. Number two, don't drown out the Spirit's voice with the song of fools. Don't drown out the Spirit's voice with the song of fools. Now, this is not, as some have tried to make this, a verse that says that Unless it's a Christian song, you shouldn't listen to it, okay? We don't do that with other art forms. It's weird. 
right? You, you don't say only uh, hang art in your house if it was painted by a, a Christian or only go to a play if all the actors are Christians. It's weird how we do that with music, that we say if it wasn't written by a, a Christian, then you can't listen to it. But there is truth that some of what we listen to is just absolute foolishness. It's just absolute foolishness. And we fill our heads with foolishness. Stupid things. Some of the songs that I, I mean, I love the music and I know the words by heart, but when I've actually stopped and thought about what I was singing and thought about the, what, the, what the song is actually saying, I thought, this is a stupid song. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like the old, you know, Papa Uma Ma, Mama Papa Uma Ma. I'm not, even, I'm not talking about even those silly old songs. I'm not talking about silly songs. I'm talking about wicked songs. I'm talking about songs that mock at sin and songs that mock at death. Don't drown out the Spirit's voice with the song of fools. I love music. Music is very relaxing to me. Music is how I relax. It's how I celebrate. Sometimes when I'm moody and uh, I want to sulk or whatever, music can help me do that too. You know, some of the music that we listen to can, can do that as well. But when the Holy Spirit is speaking, don't quench Him. Don't quench His voice and just turn on the music and try to check out. That's a foolish thing. Don't listen to the song of fools when God is trying to speak to you. And thirdly, don't mock the consequences of sin with the laughter of fools. And I love this picture that he, that he gives us here. It's verse 6, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. I don't watch a lot of late night TV anymore for several reasons, but... You know, one of the reasons is just how much they mock at the consequences of sin. And I don't find that stuff funny anymore. Sometimes I'll watch a movie that I used to like when I was younger. And some, in some cases, a movie that I even used to own. And I'll, I'll see it, you know, flipping through either on, um, you know, Hulu or Amazon Prime or something like that. And I'll see it. And it's like, oh, I remember that movie. That was really funny. And I'll start to watch it. And I'll think, why did I ever find this funny? This isn't funny. This is idiotic. And, and yeah, the jokes make me laugh, but they shouldn't. Because it's like the crackling of fire. It's like the crackling of the wood in the fire. The noise it makes, that's Solomon says the laughter of a, of a fool. Because you're laughing at what is actually consuming you. You're mocking what is actually destroying your life. You're not going to experience the beauty of life if you mock at what is destroying your life, what is destroying your marriage, what is destroying your testimony, what is destroying your body, what is destroying your finances, if you mock at that, that that's the song of fools. That's the laughter of fools. It's consuming you. You need to learn how to receive God's rebuke. So focus on the finish line. Number two, receive rebuke. Number three, practice patience. Practice patience. Life comes in seasons. So you may not be in a season of celebration. You may not be in a season of beauty right now. So you're going to have to practice some patience in the season that you are in so that you can experience the beauty that God has coming for you. Verses 7 through 10 tell us that we need to cultivate a spirit of patient endurance. Now, when I think of endurance, I, I go to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, verse 7, where we learn that endurance is like farming. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Now, if you know a farmer, and I, I know several farmers, uh, we've had some Farmers, I believe, in our church. and Farmers are among the hardest working people I know. When I think of patience, I should think of farming. Because a farmer doesn't wait idly. A farmer doesn't wake up in the morning and look outside and go, well, I don't think I'm going to do anything today. I mean, it's not harvest yet. I'm not going to plan anything today. I'm not going to 
weed anything today. I'm not going to cultivate anything today. That's not, how, that's not how a farmer lives. A farmer works all year long for the harvest, for the season of harvest. He's waiting for the harvest, but he's working while he's waiting. And God says, guys, that's how you need to live your life. So while I'm waiting for the beauty to come, while I'm waiting for what excellence God has for me and the blessings that God wants to pour out on, on my life, there are some things that I need to uproot, some ugly weeds, Solomon says, that we need to get out of our life. The first one is temptation. Temptation, surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift, or literally a bribe, destroyeth the heart. Am I allowing my oppression, the circumstances that I'm going through, my frustrations, am I leading towards a bribe because of the stress I'm under, the oppression that I'm under? Am I working myself into a situation where I'm so frustrated that I'm just going to make compromises. Solomon said, you're not going to experience the beauty of life if you aren't practicing patience and, and recognizing, yes, oppression is going to come, but we need to endure temptation like a farmer waiting for the harvest. Number two, distractions. I have to get rid of the ugly weed of distraction in the garden of my life, in the field of my life. Verse 8 says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So am I always starting, but never finishing? Am I the kind of person who I get real excited at the beginning of a project, I, in the idea stage, in the implementation stage, I get all excited and I, I make the commitment, and uh, I, I make the decision and I make the investment, but then when the grind kicks in and when resistance kicks in and when the enthusiasm wears off, that I just sit it to the side and I try to find something else to get excited about and something else to get started and never finish what I started. Solomon says you're not going to experience the beauty of life if you're always quitting and getting distracted before you work through things to get to the beauty. Because beauty takes time. Excellence takes time. Good things take better choices. And better choices mean I'm going to have to wait for the outcome of this. It's not going to happen overnight. We live in a culture where everything is instant except for that which is excellent. Everything is easy except for that which is truly beautiful. And if we want to experience beauty, we have to be willing to look past the distractions and be willing to finish, to make the commitment. I love the story of Elijah calling Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm not going to turn there this morning, but let me just summarize it for you. Uh, God uh, sends Elijah to call Elisha to be the prophet who is going to replace him. And he comes and he throws his mantle on him. And, and Elisha is farming. He's, he's plowing with oxen, and Elijah leaves this, and he throws his, his cloak on him, and he takes off, and, and Elisha, Elisha has to run down and chase him down, and he said, look, I just got a couple things I need to do, and, and Elijah's like, do what you're going to do. I'm not going to beg you. God's called you. I'm, I'm not the one calling you. God's called you is essentially what he says, and so what does Elisha do? He goes home, and he takes the oxen that he was working with, and he kills them. And then he takes the equipment that he was using with those oxen, the yoke, and he burns it and destroys it. He burns the ships, so to speak, so that there is no sailing back. I'm going to, I, God has called me to this. I'm making this commitment, and I'm not going to give myself an out. I'm in. I'm going to kill the oxen. I'm going to burn the tools. And I'm going where, where God calls me to go. See, he's not somebody who was just all excited in the moment. I get to hang out with Elijah. He's somebody who says, I know that the discouragement's going to come. I know that distractions are going to come. I'm going to stay focused. Jesus said in Luke 9, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Elijah didn't look back. I, I can't look back. When God calls me to do something, you have to go forward. Don't look back. Don't give yourself an out. Be fully in. Number three, pride. Pride. 
What does pride have to do with patience? Well, it has a lot to do with patience. Because sometimes I'm too proud to think I should have to wait. I'm too proud to have to wait. Am I too self-important to wait on God's timing when His timing isn't mine? The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. If I'm impatient, that's a clear sign that I'm a proud person. My time is more valuable than God's. He needs to be working on my schedule. Why do I got to work on his schedule? Listen, the harvest takes time. The beauty takes time. The excellence takes time. But if I'm proud and I'm not waiting on the Lord's work and the Lord's timing, I'm going to miss his gift. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's the, the tragic reality is if I'm not patient, I'm heading for destruction. If I'm not patient, it's not a neutral. It's not like there's three choices. You can get beauty or you can get destruction or you can just stay the same. That, that's not how life works. You're moving in one direction or the other. So I can be patient and, and trust the Lord and wait on His time, or I can make decisions that are going to destroy me. But I have to choose one of those two things. And not to choose is really to choose destruction. So I have to be willing to uproot the ugly, ugly, destructive weed of pride. Number four, anger. Anger. This is very convicting for me. All of this is, of course, very convicting for me, if I'm being honest. But I used to have a very bad temper. Now, I, I got very good at hiding it. When I was in school, I don't remember, I don't know, Stacy, if you remember this or not, but uh, Stacy and I were classmates. Uh, I got in trouble. Um, I came back to the class after some older kids were picking on me, and I flipped my desk over and made a little bit of a scene and I got reprimanded, and then um, we had a substitute teacher, uh, I don't remember if it was a week or so later, and uh, actually it was Anna Nicholas who told on me, and said, um, our teacher said if he had another outburst, he was going to have to go to the principal's office. So, so I went to the principal's office, and I sat uh, with Mr. Bragg, who some of you remember, had that great deep voice that, that Dennis had, and well, he was the only one who called me Darren. Darren? You've got to get this temper under control. And so uh, I did learn to get it under control to a point. Uh, I got better at hiding it is what I did. So I would have little outbursts when I was by myself and throw things and break things when no one was around. I was very quick to anger in my spirit. See, it's not just the anger that's outward that he's talking about here. It's the inner anger that we have to be very careful that we're controlling or we will not experience the beauty of life. You will destroy the beauty you're trying to wait for if you are quick to anger in your spirit. Not just what you do outwardly, but what's happening inwardly. Um, Proverbs 14, 29, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. He that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. 16, 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. James chapter 1, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Temptations, distraction, pride, anger. And then lastly, the last ugly, ugly weed that we need to work out of our life is sentimentalism. Sentimentalism will keep you from experiencing the beauty that God has for you today. Verse 10, Say not thou what is the cause that the former days were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Am I a prisoner of nostalgia? Always living in the past. Now, we need to learn from the past. Celebrate the victories of the past. Move on from the mistakes. Learn from the mistakes of the past. We don't, when the Bible says to move on from the past, it's not saying that we pretend like we have horrible memory, which I also have, by the way, a horrible memory. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying we shouldn't live in the past, not to be prisoners of the past. And the older that I get, the harder that is. Am I a prisoner of nostalgia? Because if I'm always looking at the past, I'm not looking for the beauty that is coming. 
beauty of the present. And there's beauty there. Just look up. The stars are up there. Look up. God will show you what that beauty is. So focus on the finish. Receive rebuke. Practice patience. Number four, work for wisdom over wealth. Work for wisdom over wealth. Now, as I said, a lot of the themes in chapter three weave their way through the rest of the book. And and wealth and money and what we do with wealth is one of those things. Wealth is not sinful. Wealth is not bad. In fact, he says right here, uh, wisdom is good with an inheritance. It's great when there's something that your parents have to leave for you. That's a good thing because uh, wisdom is a defense and money is a defense. But here's the difference, and here's why wisdom is more important. Even though both make living easier, Solomon says only wisdom gives value to life that is lasting, that lasts beyond life, because you can't take it with you. You can't take anything with you. You can load up all you want in that casket. You're not taking it with you. Okay? So wealth is great for the here and now, but wisdom is more valuable than wealth because you get to take some things with you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So work for wisdom over wealth. And then lastly, verses 13 through 14, if I want to see the beauty, I have to see the sovereignty of God. I have to see God's sovereignty. He uses the word here, consider, which is the same Hebrew word as found back in Genesis when God declared everything to be tob, when he declared everything to be good, it's because he saw that everything was good. The same word, same Hebrew word. To look at intently, to study, to see with not just your eyes, but with your mind. Consider some things, my friends. Verse 13, consider the work of God. Who can make that straight which he hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity, literally in the day of beauty, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider God also hath set the one against the other to the end that man should not find nothing after him. So let me give you three quick things here as we close. Number one, accept divine limitations. God is sovereign, so God has set some limits up in your life. You cannot make something straight if God has made it crooked. You can't. There are some things that God has made crooked in your life. Some of those are the consequences of sin. Some of those are the consequences of somebody else's sin, not your sin, but somebody else's. Joshua and Caleb had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because of other people's sin. God made it crooked. Nothing that they did, even as righteous men, could make it straight. So we just have to accept that there are going to be limits in my life. Number two, make the most of life when it is beautiful, when the beauty is clear. When life is beautiful, make the most of it. And I, I want you to see the, the beauty of the poetry here, which is why I put the Hebrew up, even though I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it, because he's, he's using the word tob in two different ways here. And what he's really saying is, in the day of beauty, be beautiful. In the day of excellence, be excellent. In the day of tob, be tob. So when life is beautiful, enjoy it. When the season is good, enjoy it. Give thanks for it. Don't, don't spend your time going, oh, it's, it's not going to be this good tomorrow. Oh, it's not going to be this good next year. Listen, 2021's got to be better than 2020, right? I mean, we, but who knows? God knows, right? God knows. So make the most of life when its beauty is clear, when its beauty is visible. Number three, as we close, consider in times of adversity, set realist expectations for life. Jesus told us, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will. So set realistic expectations. There are going to be times when the car has an accident on the way to church. All right? There are going to be times when you're driving down the road and a rock comes up and hits your windshield and you've got to replace a windshield. There are going to be times when the washing machine breaks down. There are going to be times when the lawnmower breaks down. There are going to be times when all of those happen at the same time. Just accept that life is going to have some hardship. If you don't accept that, you're not going to enjoy the beauty when it comes. God wants you to experience the beauty. But we have to make better choices to get there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the beauty that we get to experience in this life. We know that there is much that we have to suffer through. There are many trials. But God, the beauty 
that is temporary here is a reminder of the beauty that is eternal with you. And so, Father, may we be focused on you and on what you have done and on what you are going to do for all of eternity. And as rough as this life is, as the Apostle Paul said, the struggles of this life are not even worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us because of what Christ has done for us. And God, if there's somebody here who doesn't have that hope, I pray this would be the day that they would see the beauty of the cross, the beauty of Christ dying for their sins and rising again, the beauty of your grace that is to be received by faith. This would be the day of their salvation. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this beautiful life that you have given to us. And God, help us to make better choices so that, God, we can experience more of the beauty here as we prepare for the beauty that lasts forever. We love you and thank you and praise the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who's made all of this possible. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope to see you tonight. Have a great week if we don't. Well, that wraps up today's message. We hope this has made an impact on your life and encourages you to follow and reflect Jesus daily. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share it with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, Wednesday nights at 6.45, or give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.